in five, four, three. Hey, everybody. This is Danielle. Oh, and this is Daniel. <laughs> and this is Carla. We are Hoosier Homicide, a true crime podcast by Hoosiers for Hoosiers or for anyone that doesn't know what a Hoosier is. A swarm of bees. Oh, no. And I'm like, get it out of my ears. Ugh. Get it out of my I ears. I wouldn't do it again. But I don't, yeah, that wasn't going to last very long, whatever that was. I think, I don't know. Hello. Hello. What's up? Welcome to our free radio show. It is free. I mean, that's how you Free explain. to who? <laughs> Everybody. Oh. Mm-hmm. Several different ways you can listen, assuming mostly through iTunes, but I have a pie chart that will tell me where people listen doesn't mean anything to me, but I like Spotify. Ooh, I know how to read those now. A pie chart? Yes. Who taught you? I taught myself. Oh. I know how to read pies. <laughs> Apple pie. <laughs> Pumpkin pie. Now pie sounds good. Yep. Hey, is uh, is O Charlie still open? Ooh, it's oh. not even Wednesday though. French silk pie, free pie Wednesday. It's All right, they close it. at ten. Carla, we'll wait. You're going. You go. I literally just put groceries on my credit card, so it's going to be a no from me, dog. <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll give you. I'll give you money. All right, go get a whole pie. Oh my god, we don't need. That. No, it wouldn't last. I just here. ate a What's this we? Wee wee. Da- it's for Danielle and I. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Look, I'm just saying you should take after me. I just ate a banana as a snack. I don't like bananas. That's because you put groceries on a credit card. So you have to eat your groceries for your snack. I got that from my parents' house. <laughs> you stole mom's banana. If you think I, I'm over there, Daniel goes over at night to hang with Marky, and he, I'm there a lot of the time, and that is because I'm hungry. And you're eating their food? Yeah. It'd be cheaper just for you to live there, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be worth it. <laughs> well, I'm so much closer to work. And, you know, now I have like, you know, credit. <laughs> credit. <laughs> Important adult things. Mm-hmm. Where are you going? You won't be here next week. No, I'm going to Park City, Utah. And I'm going to be like skiing. Oh, yeah. That's what you're doing with Jesse. Yes. And okay. snowmobiling and. Don't get hurt, because I know that's an unfortunate I thing. I mean, everybody goes skiing. It may not me, but everybody. I've been one time at Paoli Peaks. Really? I went to Perfect North, so I've skied one time. Yeah, I've skied one time, and I just remember falling Do you down have down. insurance? I do. I have life insurance as well. Okay, good. So. I benefit is your Is your niece your benefactor? Um, no, my mother. <laughs> and after that is father. I see how it is. I see. Well, what see would even happen if, if that happens and she, like, becomes the owner of my home, then, like... It's just a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> She'll want to move in there. Don't worry, you guys, though. I have it set up where if I died, they would pay off my student loans and my house. And then you'd be good. It wouldn't be as big of a pain in the ass. Mm-mm. How much does it cost to bury you, though? Um, well, actually, I sent you that video. You probably didn't freaking oh, watch it. Is it the tree? Where you can be yeah, that's too pod. much money. I'm not paying for that. No, um, well, th- I'm saying the death industry is a multi-billion dollar in- or million dollar something like yeah. that industry, and the- I think the average funeral costs six to seven thousand dollars. That that sounds low, even. Yeah, yeah. It's oh. So is that your way of saying down to the man? It was just in- leave me to rot. Well. I mean, I we know. do have a crawl space. It costs money to be cremated. It worked for John Wayne Gacy. I mean, Ew. you'd smell pretty close to the same. Ew. So. Ew. I get enough air fresheners to put in the crawl space. 
Yeah, so oh, I no, saw that video and you didn't watch it, and it was all the possums would be real happy. That's a mommy mouse. <laughs> <laughs> did you see the video I sent you of the yeah, possum yes, lady? Yes, I did see that. Everyone, but... stop what you're doing and go Google the possum lady. She likes the she's, possums. She's nuts or something. She just or she's hilarious. Either I, one. Yeah. She I she could just be knowing she's hilarious, but she just hangs out with her possums and. In one of the videos, she like puts a tinfoil hat on it, and they're talking to each other. They're talking to the UFOs. Yeah, it's like either you're crazy or brilliant or both, or you just like what you like, and you don't care who hates you for she it. She likes possums. Mm-hmm. I do not like possums. This may be the most important video you will ever see, so pay attention. Now, I know that you are concerned about being taken over by aliens. Who isn't? But like everything else. There are good aliens and bad aliens. Now, we've all heard that your dog is the best judge of character, and when it comes to people, that's probably true. But when it comes to extraterrestrials, that's right. Only the possum knows for sure. Possums have extraordinary abilities. They can ward off rabies with their low body temperature, survive the most poisonous snake bite, and They know a bad faith alien when they see one. For example, oh, this is a simulation. Do not panic. This is only a simulation. All right. Alien passes in front of possum. La 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 la. Possum just keeps doing what it was doing. Phew. (laughs) Big relief. Must have been a good alien. Alien runs down. Well, not to worry. There is no shortage of aliens around here. So, alien passes in front of possum. Possum still keeps doing what it was doing. And again, we know that it's a good alien. But, suppose another kind of alien comes along. Watch closely because possum will go on red alert. Now, you have to watch really closely because this can be sudden. See? See? There it is. <laughs> well, I think that pretty well makes the case, don't you? So, if you are a household without a possum, run. Don't walk to your nearest shed dumpster or marsupial supply outlet and bring home a possum today. Oh, the caveat being the elephant in the room. The vast majority of possums belong outside. Under ordinary circumstances, if you see one there, leave it there. If you come across an ill, injured, or orphaned possum, contact a professional wildlife rehabilitator immediately. If, however, you are in imminent danger of alien attack, well, You commandeer that animal, and you put it in uniform. Now, we all know about heroic canine troops, and by now, we've heard about the valor of the war horse. But when it comes to the greatest conflict of all, we must enlist the possum. So, beware, bad aliens. The possums of war are watching. It's a mama mouse. They're kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said when she saw a huge ass possum stomping through our front yard. And you're like, mm, possum. Well, about that.
<laughs> I'm pretty sure you called me. I think so. Yeah, because it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's not. And I always wrong. get real tense. I'm like, this is either something funny or something bad happened. Yeah, it's the only the reason two. you call me during the day. Yeah, it's like, why are you calling? We're millennials. You should just text me. And then things get lost in translation. Okay, it's like, but, I should just call you. Yeah, when you text, I'm like, I, we need to talk. And, like, you don't know their, their and then you, they, inflection, you call, and you go, their tone. I want Chinese food. And you're like, that's what you needed to talk about? Yeah, it's not. It, just, like, that's an anxiety trigger. Oh, yeah. We need to talk. I need to talk to you. We have something to discuss. It's important. It has to do with the podcast that gives you nightmares, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, last night I had a dream, okay, that we were at Magic Kingdom, okay? So good, good. And it was, like, during the fireworks, and so, like, it was probably, like, 8 p.m. That's, like, when the fireworks go off, so there's probably two hours left to hang out at Magic Kingdom. Yeah. Anyway, Danielle was like, we have to go record the podcast. I was like, I'm not fucking going. <laughs> I'm at the Magic Kingdom. I was like, we're at Magic Kingdom. She was like, you need to come right now, and I was just like, I fucking quit. I quit the show. And you were like, you're dead to me. <laughs> and then I like went off into Disney. That said, sounds like an exact conversation you but two But I said have. if a relationship has to end, it might as well end at, at Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. I literally were like, you're dead to me. And I was like, fuck you. I'm riding Splash Mountain. <laughs> hey, sometimes you don't know if a person's a ride person. No, you don't. And I don't understand the people that aren't ride people, but. Well, Burn, she was never a ride person, but we're in Vienna. No, was that where we were? Yeah, we were in Vienna, and we came across this, like, amusement park. Sounds safe. I mean, it kind of wasn't. I don't think yeah. it wasn't. Um, it was just kind of, it was the kind that you, like, you paid by ride, or you had, like, tickets or something. Oh, okay. So but it wasn't, like, a It was a more carny. of a carnival. Yeah. I don't even know how to describe it, but I got her to go on her own <laughs> You're like, the least safe place. And she was like, that was horrible. <laughs> she didn't like it? I didn't really like it either, to be honest with you. It was like face-off at oh, okay, um, yeah. Kings Island, or yeah. whatever it's called now. I don't know. Yeah. She was like, I can't believe we went on that. <laughs> it was an interesting little The rides at place. Disney World are different. The rides at Universal are insane. I would go to Universal. Those are insane. Right now. But yeah, going to Park City, Utah. Okay. Going to do stuff. Hang you know, out with winter sports hand. stuff, you know, just me, you know, on the slopes. Um, Wh- on yeah, the slope, winter hitting the slopes. Winter sports. Winter sports. Fall down. I bought snow pants. Just don't break your neck. That's, no, uh, that's not the goal. Okay. Um, Kobe Bryant died, so mm-hmm. this isn't. This won't be breaking news, but we just found that out. It's really well, sad. It's scary because I hear Daniel yelling from the other room, like, "What? No, are you serious?" And I'm like, "Who died? I already know someone died. I don't know yeah. who." And so then I was uh I was stunned. Mm-hmm. I just to say the least. Alexis texted me and I just really didn't expect her to say anything like that. She was like, Are you watching the news? And I was like, Oh, some place got shot up again. Which Someone got it? shot. What is it? But No, and his daughter too, right? Yes. Yeah. It was sad. He well, seemed like an, an excellent role model for a lot of people. Yes, he was. Yes. I just remember, didn't he change his wife's Lamborghini into a... a it was a auto- Ferrari. Ferrari. Into an automatic because she couldn't drive stick. And I was like, well, you Correct. got the money. That's like, nice of him. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to make this into an automatic for her. But mm-hmm. sad. Even though his basketball career was over, I mean, his life was just beginning. And then it well, creeps so. me out because now we're watching The Bachelor and they go up in fucking helicopters on like, I know every they episode. Do. And so it freaks me out. That was just well... Dumb. I'll be. I would wait to hear what they actually say. Right. The crash. I mean, it was still in a helicopter. I just feel like the a lot of these like private 
aircrafts that people take. I mean, oh, it freaks just, me out. You just hear a lot. And There's it, less requirements creepy. for someone who's. I don't know helicopters, but I know a personal pilot. Like you're not flying commercial. The amount of time you have to have isn't as much. Like it's like a thousand hours or something, and it's just not as much experience. And so I don't know who was flying that thing, but... I was just talking to mom and dad. I mean, we named off at least like 10 different instances where we heard about small aircrafts going down. And mm-hmm. I was like, it's just, no, I'm just going to stick to commercial. Let's talk about death. Different death. Different types of death. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, that's the connection, actually. That's why I brought it up because it's sports. Oh, We're talking about okay. some sports stuff that Daniel thought of. Nice. Oh, yes. I get all the credit for this one. Yeah. He, he was like, hey, have you heard about this? And I was like, no. Why haven't I heard of this? Well, I gave you three different leads the other day. Yes. But it was the project was due today. So I couldn't. I know. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I was um, on the lookout. Yeah. And uh, anyone who hears the word Indiana in connection with anything, but oh, that's mine. That belongs to me now. Mine. That is mine. 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 That is my murder. Thank you. Because you think about it, it was like the happy face killer. Nothing actually happened in Indiana. They were just headed here. That was it. It's all that matters, yep. man. Yep. Like, just said it. So, Daniel, where did you find this case? Uh, Well, it was starting. Um, I had forgot about it, honestly. Mm-hmm. But I was uh, putting together stuff for Patreon. What? And all of a sudden I remembered, oh, yeah. There was a Colts player that got murdered once. Oh, mm-hmm. shit. Yeah, see, like, I was like, really? Are yeah. you sure? So I started looking it up, and I went, oh, we might be able to do an actual episode out of this. Mm-hmm. So I handed it over to the boss. I'm the boss. And you said, do the work. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come back till you've got a deal. Let <laughs> me <laughs> <laughs> tell you this. Sidestep. We went to her lunch with Daniel, but he has, he can't even stop working to have like a separate lunch it's a working lunch okay but our daughter was taking the papers out of the printer and he goes here hand it and tell him don't come back without a deal don't come back without a deal (laughs) (laughs) she was hamming it up she had a good time she's a ham yeah anyways i don't know did you do any research on it i mean enough yeah so do you want to open the gate or do you want me to do it to a gate do we start it off? Oh well, yeah. Out the gate, okay. Boy, I just you're just so much better at this. Well, you're just I, amazing. I just get nervous. You know, I get stage. I get stage show. fright. My professional free radio show that people get to be critical of off the on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's free, and uh, we're all idiots. So, what does that say about you? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so. This came from Wikipedia, Murderpedia, ABCnews.com, ESPN.com, and ABC11.com. Boy, when I was going through and putting this together, I was a lot more detailed with my uh, source. What was your source? I don't know. I'd have to pull it up and look. Actually, I don't have it on my phone. I did it all on my laptop. And my laptop is in the other room. And I'm not getting up and getting it. Uh, Fair (laughs) enough. Well, hopefully you can remember as we go part i have is just from fucking what you just listed off so that's okay okay (laughs) okay this is about fred brown lane jr l-a-n-e and he was born on september 6 1975 in franklin tennessee attending franklin jr high school it it was noticed then that lane possessed uncommon speed and agility for such a young player He attended Franklin High School, amassing over 1,000 yards his senior year while averaging 7.5 yards per carry. 
His number 28 is retired by the school. Lane attended, ironically, Lane College in Jackson, Tennessee. What fun. He finished his career with 3,612 rushing yards. What position does he end up playing? Running back. Running back, yeah. What was the stat you just read? He what for 3,000 yards? He finished his career with rushing yards. Yes, got it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was. I was looking at a lot of numbers. Some people don't do the sports like, thing. Well, you, I know, but you know Explain what a running back is, though, for people who don't know. Uh, Doug, a really? quarterback, gets in the ball and they run. The guy that stands behind the quarterback and the quarterback hands him the ball and then they try to run and not get tackled. There you go. An excellent. And sometimes they'll pretend to get the ball and they'll block or sometimes they'll they'll run away and the quarterback will throw them the ball. There you go. Honestly, when they try to do those sneaky things, it gets me Me, every time. Like, how did he eat the ball? Where did it go? He disappeared at the ball. And Carla is not easily duped. No. Let me tell you. No. (laughs) I just got to say that couldn't be further from the truth. (laughs) I'm extremely gullible. That's why I said it the way I did. (laughs) The possum lady with the foils is right. <laughs> we had to find the picture. That's a quote. That's a quote. We're gonna put that on a mug. Possibly with the foils, is right? Oh Lord, help us! I need to know her name. I don't know her name. I don't. I need to figure it out too. But at that point, aren't you just the possum lady? I, they're really. If she doesn't go by that, she's wrong. Okay. Uh, he was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Carolina Panthers before the 1997 NFL season. He was just outgoing and just and just loved to laugh, loved to have fun, loved people. Fred Lane came in as an undrafted free agent. He was not an easy person to stop. He was a tough individual. He gave it all. He gave it 100% on the field. He makes a big bang with the Panthers, so there was uh, there was a lot of excitement about this guy. At five foot ten inches tall, two hundred and five pound running back was the leading career rusher for the Panthers. He set a then team record that year with one hundred and forty seven rushing yard performance. During his three years with the Panthers, he accumulated two thousand and one rushing yards, the most in franchise history at the time, and thirteen touchdowns. Whoop whoop. If any of that is wrong, it is copied and pasted from Wikipedia. So you can take it up with those fuckers. <laughs> Which they copied and pasted for somebody else. Yep. It's all just copy and paste. You know, I'm trying to do it right, but stats are stats and sometimes they're not right and then they're not stats anymore. Whoa. I'm sorry. I sent you a video. <laughs> I don't talk to anyone. The only people I talk to are pretty much in this room. <laughs> It's a, a video of two dogs carrying a stick, and it says the branch manager and the assistant branch manager. <laughs> I love it. That's really good. <laughs> the assistant to the branch. <laughs> oh, I just thought it was worth sharing. It is. Thank you. Okay. And Daniel, you might be able to demonstrate some of these. I'm not sure. But in or explain them in more detail. I was going to say, I'll be doing a live demonstration (laughs) on the air for all of you. In (laughs) 1998, Lane was late for the team's charter plane to Dallas and was benched as a punishment. So I'm assuming, do they still do that if you're late? Probably depends who you are. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
Yeah. Later that season, he celebrated a touchdown by grabbing his crotch. Daniel, whoa, you can demonstrate. <laughs> Carla, close your eyes. <laughs> Thank you. The gesture was not seen on national television, but was captured by WBTV in Charlotte. And when the Panthers saw it, they benched Lane for the next week's game. He probably got a fine too. So it's like, yes. well, now, well, they used to always call it excessive celebration, but now they allow some more celebration. But you still can't do lewd gestures, right? Yeah, because um, Marshawn Lynch grabbed his, grabbed himself, scoring a touchdown against uh, the Cardinals, mm-hmm. and I think he got. I mean, he got fined quite a bit of money. Yeah, they don't like it. And he says, it. this is the most expensive crotch grab in history. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that video of him giving an interview? Um, where he was like, Which one? You got you to get your bread and you got to take care of your chicken, you know what I mean? <laughs> you got to get your chicken, you got to take care of your chicken, you know what I mean? <laughs> I need to find it's it. It's worth it. It's worth it. <laughs> I love Marshall. As- Look, I say like this though, right? It's a vulnerable time for a lot of these young dudes, you feel me? They don't be taking care of their chicken right, you feel me? So if it was me or if I had an opportunity to let these little uh, young sahabs know something, I say take care of y'all money, African, because that shit don't last forever. Now, I done been on the other side of a retirement, and it's good when you get over there and you can do what the fuck you want to. So I tell y'all right now while y'all in it, take care of y'all bread. So when y'all done, go ahead and take care of yourself. So while y'all at it right now, take care of y'all bodies, you know what I mean? Don't take care of y'all chicken, you feel me? Don't take care of y'all mentals, because, look, we ain't lasting that long. Um, you know, I had a couple of players that I played with that, you know what I mean? They no longer here no more, they no longer. So, I mean, you feel me? Start taking care of y'all mentals, y'all bodies, and y'all chicken for when y'all, you know, ready to walk away. You walk away, and you be able to do what you want to do. But I appreciate it. Thank y'all. You gotta go out there and you gotta get you gotta take care of your chicken, no I mean. And my coworkers are like, You sound just like him. Yeah, good job, Carla. Good job. <laughs> okay, so you can't grab your genitals in football on purpose. What if they itch? <laughs> okay, you know. In lewd in a lewd manner, you cannot. And let's see. The Panthers re-signed Lane before the 1999 season to a two-year 1.276 million contract with a 300000 signing bonus. He also embarrassed himself and the Panthers by putting on another elaborate celebration of a touchdown in a game where the New York Jets defeated Carolina 52-24. to So I don't know what it was that he did that lewd gesture, some embarrassing himself, touchdown something. Like, I don't know what it was that he did. Do you know? It was unwarranted is what it sounds like. I don't know what he did. I have no idea. He also later apologized for refusing to stand for the national anthem at a game in Buffalo. But this is in 1990. Like, why was he not standing? Like, it's a big deal now not to stand. But what was going on in 1999 that or whatever that he wouldn't stand for the national anthem? Was he just being defiant? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it, I, yeah. So he apologized, I guess. So there you go. In April of 2000, 25-year-old Fred Lane was traded to the Indianapolis Colts, where he was set to back up Edrin James. Edrin James. Ed, that's what I said. You said Edrin. Edrin. Uh, Edrin. Yeah, I, I had his jersey, and then he got Ed- traded to the Cardinals, and I was mad. Yeah. Edrin James is one of my favorite. Yeah, I was going to say. that. Yeah. We, we, how long was he on the Colts? From like 1999 to like 2005. Yeah. Something like that. 
Yeah, I was uh, I was sad when he left. Yeah. So at the time of his trade, Carolina coach George Sifret said the team owner Jerry Richardson never ordered him to drop Lane, but he knew the Panthers had to cut their ties with troublesome players. Then on July 6, 2000, the Mecklenburg County Sheriff's Department received a frantic 911 call from the Lane residence. 25-year-old Deidre Lane had just shot her husband. She told a 911 operator that her husband choked and hit her and said her baby wasn't his child before she fatally shot the NFL running back in their home, according to the police recordings. The 911 operator on the tape repeatedly tells a hysterical Deidre to take a deep breath, calm down, and tell her what happened. Deidre told... An operator that she shot her husband twice minutes after he walked through the door of their suburban Charlotte home. I think I shot him in the chest or the stomach, and I think I shot him again. I don't know. Please send somebody. There's blood everywhere. There's blood all over me. The operator asks if he is breathing. I don't know. I didn't go near him. She responds. I'm sorry. It's like slurred. I'm sorry. She says, speaking to her baby, born a week before the shooting. She told the operator that she is nursing the baby. So she's like, just shot someone and is nursing. Hey. Women can do anything while nursing. I'm just going to say. I'm going to say that. Yeah, don't. Uh, you can do. Yeah. <laughs> homicide while nursing. Yeah, I'm, you can do it. Later, she told the operator, he just walked in the door like two or three or four minutes ago. He wasn't even here that long. I was just coming back from the kitchen and he just said, somebody told me that's not my baby. I don't even know if he dropped his luggage or not. I was standing here and he came in. I just had the baby seven days ago, Deidre says on the tape, screaming and sobbing. And he came in and started choking me. He was like, that baby's not mine. And he started hitting me. I just He just got shot because he wouldn't leave me alone. I kept telling him to stop. After she spoke with the 911 operator, Deidre spent several hours giving police a voluntary statement about the shooting. Her seven-day-old infant was with her at the police station. Goodness. <laughs> yeah. And so, as always, it's he said, she said something, something. And I think their relationship was probably pretty contentious. She said that he had come home angry and that he had choked her. He had hit her in the side of the face. Deidre told police she'd managed to break free from the struggle, grabbed a shotgun from the bedroom closet, and fired, killing Fred almost instantly. Deidre literally blew off the side of his head. It seemed at first glance like a simple case of self-defense. But as police began to look deeper into Deidre Lane's past, their initial perception of her as a helpless victim would change significantly. Deidre Lane turned herself in to the police August 23, 2000. Assistant District Attorney Gentry Caudill said Deidre Lane planned her husband's death to collect on $5 million life insurance policy taken out between 30 and 45 days prior the shooting. The person that was selling him the insurance policy didn't think that because of Fred's income, he needed a $5 million life insurance policy, but Deidre, that's what Deidre wanted. The ink was barely dry on that policy when Fred was killed. With a motive firmly established, the case against Deidre Lane looked strong. Ooh, like, now, now it doesn't look like you were just killing him because he was beating on you. Now it looks like you were killing him for the money. Oops. Fred Lane had no value to Deidre Lane while he was alive, Caudill said. The state contends this was first-degree murder. She laid in wait to kill him. Defense attorney Henderson Hill told the judge that Deidre posed no risk of flight or danger to anyone in the community. There is just tragedy all over this case. There's no question about that, Hill said. In addition, she is nursing the couple's eight-week-old daughter. Deidre's four-year-old son from a previous relationship is suffering the loss of his father figure and his mother's arrest, Hill said. 
When Fred and Deidre met, they hit it off immediately. She's very pretty. She's very soft-spoken. Um, and she seems to have a soft type of demeanor. Within months, they eloped and got married in a quick courthouse ceremony. Of course, Natasha was there as a witness. Fred's family knew nothing about the marriage, just they got married, um, took their best friend with them, Natasha Watson, got married in front of a, a magistrate. Fred's parents weren't pleased by the sudden marriage. But on the plus side, Deidre didn't seem to be after their son's money. She had plenty of her own. Her father was a real estate guy and a banker. Uh, he, he did pretty well. She had a ton of money with her because she was supposed to have been investing money at the, at the bank. And she wasn't afraid to flash it around like she did at a Panther-Saints game during Fred's first season. She showed up in New Orleans, probably fifteen, twenty thousand dollars cash money. The Colts released a statement that said the team was shocked and saddened by the news of Lane's death. Lane's father, Fred Lane Sr., said his son and daughter-in-law had been having difficulties. In March of 2000, Deidre filed a domestic violence complaint against Lane, accusing her husband of snatching a necklace from her neck during an argument. But she later said her husband never put hands on me. It's like, but you know, there's a cycle of domestic abuse where you make a statement, recant over and over again. Especially amongst NFL players. Yeah, there's a lot going on. There had been, I think, one incident of a domestic abuse report uh, filed with us. Deidre Lane did call the police um, after a, an altercation between them. She ran across the street to her neighbor's house. While she was at the neighbor's house, Fred tried to get into that house yelling and screaming. The police arrived and calmed things down. Apparently they were fighting over a necklace that Fred had given her and Fred yanked it off her neck and when he did his fingernails scratched her neck. Deidre, now five months pregnant, elected not to press charges. Fred Lane also had a case pending against him related to an arrest in Tennessee. A grand jury in Jackson indicated indicted him on misdemeanor drug charges, but prosecutors dropped weapon charges against him, saying there wasn't enough evidence to support it. Caudill had opposed the bond, saying the couple had separated two weeks before the slaying after Deidre pointed a pistol at her husband. And I, one thing I read, like, she fired the gun, but into a wall, you know, like that type of thing. So I'm not sure if it was just, I'm threatening you by pointing a gun at you. Are you threatening me? <laughs> or if it was actually, like, she fired it in his general direction. I'm not sure. Um, let's see. He moved in with relatives in Nashville after training with the Indianapolis Colts. They separated because Deidre Lane was going through all his money, Caldwell said. He is making 600000 a year, but when he went back to Nashville, he was almost penniless because Deidre Lane controlled all of their money. They were going through money right and left. Friends had reported that they would go out shopping and Deidre would come out with thousands of dollars of merchandise. Deidre's spending eventually led to a number of bounced checks. Would you expect an NFL wife to write bad checks? You would think that they are living a pretty esteemed lifestyle, the ones you read about on TV, and, you know, they're living a glamorous life where money is not an object. A check of the Lane's financial records confirmed the story. 
Despite Fred's $600,000 NFL salary, the lanes were flat broke. How do you spend all that money? I don't know. On dumb shit. Fred Lane's Lane's father uh, watched the hearing from the front row of the courtroom seats directly behind Deidre. He put his head down and placed a hand over his eyes as the judge said he would allow Mrs. Lane free on bond. It's like, oh, man. It's like, but she, like, probably still nursing a baby and stuff and, you know. Mecklenburg County Superior Court Judge Richard Bonner. It's probably not Boner. 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 Ruled Deidre could be released on a 100,000 secured bond. Caldell said prosecutors did not decide on whether to pursue the death penalty, but told the judge Mrs. Lane's premeditation could qualify as a capital offense. She shot her husband to save her own life. But as the paramedics loaded Deidre into an ambulance, police noticed one glaring inconsistency in her story. Despite what Deidre said was a knockdown, drag out brawl with her 205 pound football player husband, she didn't have a scratch on her. There was no strangulation marks, there was no injury to the side of her face. The only injury that she reported was that her shoulder hurt. Which left detectives wondering just what had hit Deidre Lane that day. Was it an abusive husband? Or the butt of a shotgun? Judge Boner offered no reason why he decided to set Bond. So he probably let her go because he she had was, a heart on. <laughs> he probably let her go because she's like nursing a baby. I don't know. Makes sense. He ordered Deidre not leave Mecklenburg County. He warned that the 100000 in cash or assets posted as bond would be forfeited if she failed to appear at future hearings. But before she could face those charges, she was charged by federal authorities for a 1998 bank robbery, which she orchestrated Jesus. with a friend. Deidre! Of, that was a bank teller. Oopsie doodles. Oopsie. Now, I don't think she was a criminal mastermind. It was just like, you work at a bank. You know where they keep the money at the bank. <laughs> we should take that money. <laughs> I don't think it was like real in-depth. A statement from an FBI investigator suggested a possible motive in the murder case. Killed her husband to keep him from telling police about her role in the July 1st, 1998 theft of $41,200 from a Wachovia bank branch in Charlotte. Damn. According to statements, the two hatched a plot to make the theft appear to be a bank robbery, right down to a bogus note which read, Give me all you money in the second drawer. Don't say anything. Hurry. That's what the handwritten note said, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it was a poorly written note that's oh. all give me all you money <laughs> do now <laughs> well why use few why use many words when few words work it same. saves time <laughs> can read it was a, it, the note was written by your mother <laughs> <laughs> she does <laughs> <laughs> what you doing yeah what you doing we do <laughs> and then the second note said bring food bring <laughs> <laughs> There was some talk about that she may have been involved in a in a robbery with a girl named Tasha. Charlotte police handed the information off to the FBI, who had jurisdiction over bank robberies. The feds, sifting through their case files, found a crime that seemed to fit with what witnesses described. In July of 1998, an unidentified woman had approached a teller at a Wachovia bank in suburban Charlotte, 
and demanded money with a threatening note. She made off with more than $40,000. When they got their surveillance photos, it was quite obvious that the person that was the bank robber was in fact Deidre Lane. Deidre was wearing a wig at the time. She had on dark sunglasses and drawn a fake mole on her, uh, on her face. The disguise didn't fool anyone who knew Deidre. Four or five of her friends positively identified her. About the only person who hadn't recognized Deidre was the bank teller. The teller said that she had no idea who the robber was. Uh, she actually looked at bank robbery surveillance photographs and said she'd never seen the person before. But the feds were pretty sure she was lying. The teller just happened to be Deidre Lane's best friend, Natasha Watson. Deidre Lane has a criminal record that dates back to 1995. She was charged with the attempted, where she attempted to rob a South Carolina credit union five years ago. So she does has done this before. Deidre was arrested but allowed to complete diversionary program, and she was not convicted. U.S. Magistrate Judge Carl Horn referred to the affidavit before he told a sobbing Deidre Lane that she would not be getting bail anytime soon. So she got bail on the murder charge, but not on the federal bank charge. Oopsie doodles. Deidre would eventually plead guilty to larceny charges. She was sentenced to a, a four, four months in jail and fined $41,200. Like, That'll do it. Mm, yep. Not bad for what she done. Yeah. Too bad she spent all her money on bail. Yep. And then on her attorney. I don't, I, mean, I don't think they had very much money left either. So just be, just be assuming that someone plays in the NFL and makes them wealthy. It doesn't necessarily. Mm-hmm. Well, and he never really received that a much. big contract. He was mm-hmm. an uns- he was an Unsigned, undrafted free yeah. agent. And- I thought it sounded less even for the n- late 1990s, the, his sign-in right. bonus and stuff. October 31st, 2003, Deidre Lane, 28 now, pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter. Lawyers for Lane, who faces a sentence of up to eight years, presented their first witness, an obstetrician who said Deidre told her three weeks before the shooting that she had been physically and verbally abused by her husband. On June 28, 2000, Dr. Devin Delaney said Deidre asked to have her pregnancy induced so that she could give birth before Fred Lane returned to Charlotte from an out-of-town trip. And the baby was born the following day. So, like, she hmm. wanted to have, like, is that just being spiteful? Or, like, I don't want you to witness the birth of your child, so I'm getting induced while you're out of town? Or... I don't want you around because I don't feel safe with you around. I, I don't know what the if she just is like, I don't want him here. Defense documents filed in the case have argued that Fred Lane's abuse of his wife grew more frequent and severe in the weeks before his death. Lane is alleged to have pushed Deidre out of a car as he accelerated away and to have grabbed her by the throat, lifting her off the ground and thrown her into a sink. Under cross-examination, Dr. Delaney acknowledged that she never saw bruises or other physical signs of abuse or injury on Deidre beyond a cut lip that she told her was an accident. It's like, not all signs of abuse are physical, but if you're saying you got thrown around, there probably would be some bruises. She did have some friends that said they had witnessed some incidents of violence. Fred's Panther teammates had seen evidence of abuse, too. But as they told police, Fred wasn't the abuser. There were some players who said they'd noticed in locker rooms and such that he would have, you know, scratches on him. Um, you know, he'd show up, you know, with a bruise here or scratches there. And uh, 
They'd ask him what happened, and he'd say, Deidre. One player who'd made the mistake of going out to dinner with Fred and Deidre had actually witnessed some of her abusive behavior. Fred had had some knee surgery and was on crutches, and Deidre got mad at him and kicked him where his surgery site was. Deidre Lane spent most of the day slumped in her chair at the defense table, eyes cast downward and frequently crying. She first left the courtroom during morning testimony by Mecklenburg County Medical Examiner Dr. Michael Sullivan about his autopsy of Fred Lane. An autopsy showed an x-ray that revealed about 16 shotgun pellets, most of which were recovered from the skull and cap. The first blast struck Lane in the upper right chest, traveling to the left and slightly downward and injuring his heart, lungs, and other internal organs. I feel like if you're defending yourself, you don't shoot someone 16 times. No, it's 16 pellets. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a bird shot. Oh. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh, it just depends on how big the yeah. bearings are. Yeah. So it, I mean, no, no, no about that. You don't know, no, no about that? She shot him twice, but with a shotgun. So you got a little Where did the pellets come from? Inside the bullet. You don't know what a shotgun pellet looks like? No. (laughs) It's like a red cartridge and little beads in there. Oh, fuck, I don't know about that kind of stuff. (laughs) The second struck him behind the right ear. It traveled upward slightly to the left and slightly forward, injuring the skull and brain. So, But the thing is, she gets to walk out, and it's like, if you've murdered someone, and she's pleading guilty that, yes, I did do this, Shouldn't you be forced to have to look at, like, what you did? It's like, well, we're all acknowledging that you did this, so you should have to sit there and look as we go over the evidence. It's like, no, 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 I feel too bad. I don't want to have to look at what I, you know, I murdered someone. I don't want to have to look at the pictures. I mean, you'd think they would have to. Yeah, but they don't. Uh, I guess at least it shows she's remorseful. I guess. Yeah, maybe. This, uh, let's see. Uh, She left again just before the police department firearms expert showed the heavily bloodstained yellow shirt Lane was wearing when he was killed on July 6, 2000. In both cases, Superior Court Judge Timothy Patty allowed her to leave after reminding her that she was waiving her constitutional right to be present. But I think she just was like, you know, sometimes they warn victim victim family members like, hey, we're about to show some fucked up shit. Like, and it might be very upsetting to you. You might want to leave the room. But she was like, okay. I feel like if in your, I mean, I think it's probably your right. You don't have to sit there if you don't want to. Yeah, I, I think yeah, you don't have to be there. Most people are present, but you could have counsel just representing you. So I guess she just left twice, like during. Doesn't I don't know. She probably came right back after they've been shown it to her. I feel like not being there would, like, not a jury not seeing you wouldn't help you. Yeah, but But this is just just a judge, so he, yeah. Dr. Sullivan testified that they concluded Fred Lane was shot from a distance of eight feet or less. Sullivan said that the first shot fired at Lane, which struck him in the chest and ripped apart his heart, would cause a loss of consciousness very rapidly within seconds, certainly less than a minute. Deidre Lane told police investigators her husband was still moving after she fired the first shot and that she fired a second time because she thought he was going to get up and come back at me, quote unquote. The prosecution concluded its case by showing Judge Patty photographs of the crime scene in a videotape reenactment of the shooting as it was described by Deidre to police investigators, which would have been very odd to watch. The tape, made two months after the shooting, featured police detectives playing the roles of Fred and Deidre Lane. Along other things, the tape showed Deidre would have had to be standing almost directly over her husband's prone body to have fired the second shot from three feet away. The first part of Deidre's story, that Fred had only been home a few minutes when the shooting occurred, appeared to be true. 
The reason we know that is his keys were still dangling in the lock. He'd walked in his front door, put down his overnight bag, and then crossed to the master bedroom on the first floor. It was there, judging from the blood splatter on the wall, that he'd first been shot. He was standing right at that bedroom doorway, so the shooter had to be inside the bedroom. The slug from the shotgun struck him squarely in the chest. He was basically walking dead at that point. There's no way he could have survived that injury. He spun around, took a few steps towards the front door, and fell. All before an NFL running back could catch her and stop her. And this is a woman who had just given birth seven days earlier sort of defied belief that she could get away from him and that he would let her do that. She did a double tap, shot him once, came over, made sure he was dead by shooting him again. I'm seeing if there's crime scene photos. Okay, I don't think I've looked. That could raise doubt about her claim that Lane still threatened her when she shot him in the back of the head. It's like, man, he was dead. Yeah. But she shot him again. And his keys were still in the door and he had just walked into the entryway and she shot him. Once, and then came over and shot him twice, and it looks just bad. Like, even if you're saying... She said he was choking her. Yeah. And it's like, but he hadn't even stepped out of the doorway. Yeah. No. Like So it's like, was he abusing you all a lot? And now it was just like, I'm not taking it anymore, even though you weren't being threatened in that moment? Or did you need $5 million? <laughs> like, yes. Yes. So, Holy Day of Obligation, November 5th. 2003, the win- the widow of NFL running back was sentenced to nearly eight years in prison for shooting her husband to death three years ago as he walked in the front door. Eight years. Why? And as I'm reading all this, they're like, oh, she got eight years. And it's like. And five million bucks. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? I don't know. She got them five million. And this is, let me, and how the judge says it to her. Too. Well, I don't know. Depending on the policy, you can, you can yeah. probably write those. Yeah. Uh, Although, I think you can't. You yeah, can't profit but, you know, from maybe, her crimes. Maybe her children. Oh, yeah. That's true. Shit. Deidre Lane broke down in tears as the judge read, read the sentence. She pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter, which is like the lowest, one of the lowest ones. She said her husband had abused her physically and emotionally. I love Fred dearly, but at times he scared me and I didn't know him then, she said. Judge Timothy Patty gave her the maximum sentence, ruling that the slaying was premeditated and deliberate, that she acted with malice, and that she shot her husband a second time after the first shot, rendering him helpless. Those factors outweighed the alleged abuse, the judge said. And she got eight years. Like, they're like, wow, like we're, forethought. We're, and we're going to show her. Lying in wait. Fully premeditated murder. Eight years. Eight years. Yeah, what the fuck? It's like, okay. I mean, so, and they're saying we're not taking, the abuse doesn't outweigh the crime. So they're not saying like, we know you kind of got the shit kicked out of you a lot. So, and we can't, you can't just get away with murder. Everyone, you're supposed to get in trouble for that. So we got to give you something. I don't know if that was the deal or if it was just like. I don't know. Kind of sounds to me like he's calling bullshit on the abuse. But but then she only gets eight years. I mean, so it, I mean that was the maximum plead. sentence, though, he could give her. No, yeah. because it, but if they let her plead to voluntary manslaughter, yeah, the max was eight. Yeah, so they, so they offered her, her a deal. Yeah. yeah. They're like, we could have gone to the, for the death penalty. And then it's like, well, we just figured it would save her one we of figured, our time I and mean, money. If you like got out in four years, it would be fine. Yeah, well, good behavior. <laughs> yeah, don't forget, good behavior. We've become accustomed to a lot of other types of illegal activities that some athletes sometimes get involved in. Drug issues, drunk driving issues. 
we just felt like with that out there, you know, juries, you know, you never can tell what way a jury is going to go. I thought it was wrong. I didn't agree with it. There's nothing I could do about it. I was hoping that she would, she would get life. I, I really was. What she did was the most horrible thing that she could ever do. It was almost like she pulled a trigger on me. On March 3rd, 2009, Deidre Lane, 33, was released from the Raleigh Correctional Center for Women after serving nearly six years for the murder of her husband. Six, six whole years. Damn. Yeah. Damn, Deidre. Man, yeah. I don't know how what she feels about it now, but so she got out, but people still don't like it when convicted murderers are like working with kids, apparently. They don't like that shit. Really? Yes, they don't <laughs> like that. Hmm. June. Tell me more. 2013. The uh, women who run the Kitty College summer camp at St. Augustine University is Doris Bullock, former Doris Braswell. Doris was convicted of second-degree murder in 1981 in the death of her infant child. Her assistant is Deidre Gray, formerly Deidre Lane. In 2000, Deidre Lane shot her husband, as we all know, voluntary manslaughter. St. Augustine said that Doris has worked at the school for 12 years and Deidre has been with the university for about a year. Beyond that, the school would not release a statement saying the safety or the school would only release a statement saying the safety and well-being of children in our campus programs are our top priority. St. Augustine University performs background checks on all employees. Doris Bullock and Deidre Gray. um, Gary. Did I say Gray? Whatever. Deidre Gary. But it's Deidre Lane serve in administrative roles, and provide valuable support. They are exemplary, I can't say that word, exemplary employees and productive members of the community. So they're here. saying, we have them here. We know that they murder people. We're okay with it. <laughs> they were different people. <laughs> Doris is listed on St. Augustine's website as the Assistant Vice President for External Relations in the Office of the President. Deidre is not listed in the school staff directory. One source told ABC 11 that both women work for the president of the school. The source also said that their roles go beyond administrative and they work directly with children. They're the assistant to, to the, the assistant, assistant manager. <laughs> <laughs> that source also said that the parents who enroll their children in the Kitty College summer camp are not told about the women's backgrounds and that there is no policy on the hiring of ex-felons. Parents that ABC 11 spoke to wanted to know how the two women could be put in charge of the summer camp if the background checks are performed. They're like, yeah, well, we checked their background and they're felon. They're, you know, they we checked it. it. They did, committed a few felonies and we don't you care. Want us to do, did that mean you didn't want us to hire them? That's what that meant. <laughs> we, we, knew, we know. <laughs> we know we did it. Not to say you can't hire them, but why put them with children? Why would they think people would want to leave a child with a killer? One parent said. <laughs> Like, I'm not saying you can't hire him, but, like, why would you? The parents are like, that woman murdered her infant. Please let her watch my kid. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, like, that's bad. Like, okay, she killed her husband. My kid isn't her husband. It should be fine. <laughs> what the fuck? Some parents were all for redemption and second chances, but just not with their children. <laughs> Someone <laughs> else's children. Someone please. else's kids. I Take her to a nursing home. There you go. I believe that everybody deserves a second chance, but there's some things you shouldn't be allowed to do and some things you should be allowed to do, depending on what you've done. One parent, but whoever hired them needs to lose their job. Jesus. <laughs> it's like, well, you shouldn't. I mean, especially, kind of maybe even more so with the woman who murdered her infant than like someone was still. It's like, I ah. would go out on a branch and say that they didn't make the best decision. No. Mm -mm. But it's that 
Carla Homoka with a, Carla with a K in Canada. Oh, the we'll Ken talk and, about her. Yeah, the Ken and Barbie killer. That's real bad. And she got a sweet deal before the authorities saw all the videotapes she was fully involved in. And so they promised her like voluntary manslaughter, whatever, whatever. She's the most hated woman in Canada. Found out she was working in her children's like school and people lost it. What the fuck? Yeah, I was like, you're directly responsible for the murder of several young women. It's like, <gasps> including your sister. I don't even so, know what you're talking about. Ken and Barbie. Yeah, that's a rough one. I don't know. Yeah. They don't like her working with her kids. And someone married her. Yeah, someone didn't. No one probably know who she is. Huh. So there's hope for everyone, just so you know. Maybe he didn't do a background check. Like maybe he didn't do a background <laughs> It's like, well, it's too late now. Yeah, well. So, yeah, I think they. she's no longer allowed like on the campus. With her. But I was like, I don't know. Kids got to go to school somewhere. It do be like I think, that. I think she has two kids. While investigating that. We found another case. Go on. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know which one I'm talking about. Though. Yes. Yes. And this had only stumbled upon this because he was also a Carolina Panthers NFL player at the same time. And this crime was happening at the same time as this other one. So people would be getting murdered that were Carolina Panthers players or doing, yeah, you know, it's like, not a good time to be a, a no, player for them. In the yeah. late 90s. And so this is a short synopsis of this. Wikipedia and the charlotteobserver.com and Murderific podcast. They're very good. I think it's a husband and wife also. They're giving each other a hard time because one of them is reading stats and the other go. <laughs> 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 it's like, oh, it's football. You got to read the stats. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Ray Carruth. Was born and raised in Sacramento, California. He was accepted on a football scholarship to the University of Colorado Boulder. He played four years for the Buffaloes and was named a first-team All-American in 1996. During Carruth's sophomore year at Colorado, his girlfriend, Michelle Wright, gave birth to their son, Rolando. Mm. Carruth all but neglected his son until Michelle sued him for child support. She later testified that Carruth agreed to pay $2,700 in child support half of what he was ordered to pay by a judge on a condition that he would be a better father, something that he uh, failed to do. Oopsie doodles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you that come to find in there? Be better. Be better. Just try harder. <laughs> be less of a piece of shit. Yeah, he does not want to. He likes himself some women, doesn't like to wear condoms, and doesn't want to pay child support. Well, who the fuck does, just, Danielle? Just sounds like the average, you know, American male. Yeah, but it's just like, <laughs> well, I don't want to have to pay for child support. It's like, well, when do you get fifty cent condom? I'm gonna prevent it. You know, what is. a weird condom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aren't you just taking the pill? Doesn't every woman take birth? Every single one of you take birth control, so I don't have to worry about it. Nope, that's not how that works. Here's me giving. That's my TikTok. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> now everyone knows. Got me convinced. <laughs> Ruth all but yeah, got that. Ray Carruth was a first round draft pick in 1997 NFL draft. So the same time they were him and Fred Lane were drafted. Uh, Fred take, Lane wasn't drafted. No, but they were on the same team. Does that work if I say it that? They were teammates. Correct. Thank you. Uh, this guy was drafted, taken by the Carolina Panthers in the 27th overall selection. He signed a four year, $3.7 million deal, including a $1.3 million signing bonus. So Fred Lane's signing bonus was 300000 and Ray Carruth was $1.3 million. And yeah. nowadays, that spot, you get $13 million overall, and, and the bonus is like seven and a half. Oh, man. Carruth had a respectable rookie season in 1997 and started 14 games. He caught 44 passes for 545 yards and four touchdown passes, tied for first among rookie receivers. 
He broke his right foot in the opening game of 1998 and did not catch another pass that season due to the injury. He played in his the first six games of the 1999 season with 14 catches for 200 yards. Why didn't he play the rest of the season, you ask? I will tell you why. On November 16th... Please enlighten us. <laughs> November 16th, 1999, near Ray Caruso's home in Charlotte, North Carolina... Sharika Adams, a real estate agent had been ca- he had been casually dating, was shot four times by Van Brett Watkins Sr., a nightclub manager and an associate of Caruth. Sharika managed to call 911 and said that Caruth had stopped his vehicle in front of hers and that another vehicle drove alongside and its passenger got out and shot her. And then Ray drove away from the scene. So he orchestrated the murder of his girlfriend. The fuck? And what for? she was eight months pregnant. Ah. He did not want to pay child support. Yeah, we went over that. Okay, got it. I mean, he not only orchestrated it, he helped. Yeah, helped uh, confine her and set it up, paid for it. And yeah, she was eight. Oh, because he couldn't convince her to get an abortion earlier. So this is, he was like, well, I gave you a chance. And now. This doesn't seem like mm -mm. the best solution to a problem. So (laughs) on Murderific, I heard the 911 call. She is like very upset but like is calm enough like collecting enough to say where she is who she was with what happened like where he left to like she gives like all the information that they need and because so she's like with it enough to be like this just happened to me Damn. and i know who did it They get to her and she says soon after the admission to the hospital, she fell into a coma. Doctors delivered the baby via emergency cesarean section. Caruth went to the police and posted a $3 million bail on a condition that if either his girlfriend or the infant died, he would turn himself in. I immediately decided, oh, my God, I got to call Ray because I bet he doesn't know what's happened. You know, somehow she got shot going home or whatever. And I'm like, I got to call him. So I had two numbers. I had a cell phone number. Uh, and a beeper number for him. And so I just continually just kept calling both, both, no answer. During that time before he came, I remember, you know, they came out and told me that they had to revive Chancellor and still no Ray. And finally, he comes in with an entourage. Ray comes in with the guy that did go to the movies with him, it was his friend Hannibal, and he actually came with another woman. I went over like a mad woman. I let him know that I know you you knew what happened to her. You know what happened to her, and you did it. You did it. Sharika Adams died on December 14th, 1996, so she was in a coma for a while. The baby named Chancellor Lee Adams survived but suffered permanent brain damage and cerebral palsy as a result of being without oxygen for 70 minutes before he was born. Huh. So, yeah, I was like, <laughs> just an outstanding human being. But I was like, I'm a, with killing my girlfriend, even if I, but it's like, it's your kid. It's like, huh. and 
And so, and he's making good money, but he doesn't want to have to give any of that up. Like, any. Well, no, that's less to spend on me. Yeah. And it's like, you are making serious, like, more money than any, like. Not an average person. Yeah. It's like, and you don't even pay child support to your other kids. So, it's not like you're even splitting it up. Just one kid. So, do we think he turned himself in after his call? Oh, sure. No. Absolutely. Sounds like a stand-up individual. Caruth quickly fled after her death, but was captured the next day in West Tennessee, found hiding in the trunk of a car outside of a motel. <laughs> the trunk also contained almost 4000 in cash, bottles of his urine, extra clothes, candy bars, and a cell phone. So, Okay, so he was an, a professional football player and he fit into a trunk? Yep. He was a wide receiver. So he was a little smaller. Not so all. I mean, not all of them are. You're right. You're right. I mean, but still, yeah, it would be tight. It would be tight, though. He was in there for like a full day, I think, before they found And they found him the next day. Yeah. Um, the pan. Fuck? What was he going to do? I like, don't know like, where he was disappearing. Too. I wonder what happened if he needed to poop. Yeah. He had jugs for that. Ugh, gross. Okay, really, though? Like, what was the plan? I don't know. They might have uh, gone to disappear. Clearly, it was to live in the trunk Forever. for the rest of his life. <laughs> I don't know if he was going to try to disappear to Mexico or something. I'm not sure. My reaction to Ray fleeing to Tennessee with yet another girlfriend was just another very big display of his cowardice. I received a call from the FBI in Charlotte and telling me that they have an arrest warrant for Ray Carruth. And they had developed information that he was in a motel in Wildersville, Tennessee. So we went into the hotel, spoke to the manager, and she told us, yes, there was a young lady, Wendy Cole, staying in that room. And a short time later, Miss Cole walked down. I asked her if Ray Cruz was with her. She said, no. I said, where is he at? She said, well, I'm not sure, but he's around here. And I sat down on the side of the bed, and I said, you know where he is, don't you? She just stared, and then I said, where is he, Wendy? And she looked at the keys, and I didn't pick up on it the first time. I said, where is he, Wendy? And she looked at the keys again. He's in the trunk, isn't he? I said, Ray, yeah, this is Mark Post. I'm with the FBI, and I have agents surrounded the car. We're going to pop the trunk. As soon as we pop the trunk, just enough. For your hands to come out, that's the first thing I want to see is those hands come out. And his hands came right out. The Panthers waived him on December 16th, citing a moral clause in his contract, and the NFL suspended him indefinitely. Cannot, it, it, moral clause. Thou shall not murder. <laughs> oh. They're even lenient about beating your spouses. They're lenient about that, but don't kill anyone because it's really obvious. Until when, recently. Yeah, until recently, yes. Now we've realized, oh... It's not good for our football players to be hitting their wives. It makes us all look bad. It's and not good for ratings, I mean. And they're a non-for-profit. Come on. That's right. <laughs> okay. At trial, prosecutors contended that Carruth hired Watkins and others to murder Sharika because of her refusal to have an abortion. Carruth's lawyer, David Rudolph, claimed that Carruth had been caught up in a drug deal gone bad. They claimed that on the night of the shooting, after Caruth had refused to fund the drug deal, Watkins shot Sharika in a sudden rage when she flipped him off after he attempted to ask her about Caruth's whereabouts. So they're just placing the blame solely on the murderer 
and not be like, it's not his fault. He wouldn't do a drug deal. He's such a nice guy. He said, no, I don't do drugs. And so that he shot his pregnant girlfriend. That's why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I gotta say, some of y'all people are dramatic as fuck. Yep. You don't need to shoot people. Ray Caruth had called me and he asked me if um, I had a hoop deal. A car that's not flashy, that doesn't stand out, that um, he could get that night. And um, I told him that I had a maximum. And he told me to, to come over his house. And uh, he asked me, do I know where he can get a gun at? I was like, why Why you want the gun? And he was like, he was wanting to um, get Sharika because she was pregnant and, and he could, he didn't want to pay no um, 5000 another 5000 some odd dollars a month in child support. And um, then our people on the team was saying that he can't be having a baby by no stripper, stuff like that. He said that, um, that he had a friend that was going to do it. And he was talking about William. I told him that I didn't want to do it. I was like, I don't want to, you know. I don't have no part, and I said, because I mean, anything can happen, I could get killed or anything. And he was like, um, something still can happen to you regardless, because you know about it. What I want, he said, I want my man to ride with you. He was talking about William. He said, ride with you. He said, when we leave the movies, he said, I'm going to call you, and I want y'all to follow me down this road right here. He was going to stop, and he wanted the guy that was riding with us to, um, to shoot the girl that he had pregnant. And I was just so scared. I didn't I didn't say nothing else. Just pay for, just pay your child support. Yeah. What the hell? I like it when they have dads that won't pay child support, and so they offer them free tickets to, like, NFL games, and they come down to claim their tickets, and then they get arrested. Cool. <laughs> it's a sting operation. I know people who have gone in to uh, tell the judge that they didn't make enough money to pay their child support. Would they lower it? And they walked out of there, and they had, they raised it on them. Yeah, they don't, judges don't like it. Like, it's a kids are fucking expensive. And it's like, but I don't want to have to pay for it. I don't want to. wanna. Ray Carruth was found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder, shooting into an occupied vehicle and using an instrument to destroy an unborn child. He was sentenced to 18 to 24 years in prison. He was found not guilty of first degree murder and was spared the death penalty. And I think they were so overconfident that the conspiracy and the murder charge would go together that they didn't even put second degree on the table for Ray. What he did was a very horrific and just unimaginable thing. And it deserves the harshest punishment. He deserves to be dead for what he did to my daughter. I think he should have been convicted of first degree murder. And uh, everything that we saw in court backed that up. David Rudolph didn't come up with any good alternative explanation for the facts that we had. I wouldn't have had any problem dispensing the death sentence if that would work out. They found him guilty of everything he told them would make him guilty of first-degree murder. They found him guilty of conspiracy to commit murder, aiding and abetting, if you will, acting in concert. They found him guilty of firing into an occupied vehicle. Felony murder. In addition, they found him guilty of trying to kill the unborn child. And they found him not guilty of first-degree murder, which they did not follow the law. At one point, I asked a question, uh, is there anybody in here who doesn't think Carruth is up to this and up to his eyeballs? And uh, everybody said, yes, they agreed that he was. 
but we still had a juror who would not go for the first degree. So uh, we did have a compromise uh, verdict. Uh, we said, okay, we'll agree that he's guilty of all the lesser charges, but we'll say we cannot convict on first degree. And that's the way it went down. In 2003, Sandra Adams was awarded nearly $5.8 million in damages for the murder of her daughter. So this is the gra- grandma of the boy. The award was symbolic, however, as the four men who were convicted in the conspiracy to murder Sharika, including Carruth and Watkins, were either unemployed or in prison at the time. So you're not getting any money. Carruth sent a letter in 2018 apologizing to Sandra Adams via WBTV in Charlotte, North Carolina, for accusing her of lying about him in an interview for years. Uh, Ray Carruth was released from a North Carolina prison in October of 2018 and served nearly 19 years. Chancellor Adams has recently turned 20 and is scheduled to graduate from high school May 2020. Now, what do you call your grandmother? Paul. And what do you call um, your mother? Pa. There you go. Mommy Angel. Can you say it again? I'm raising Ray Caruth's son, and I don't believe that there's any way that I could hate a part of Chancellor and say that I love him unconditionally. I just, you can't do that. So to love him unconditionally would be to love every part of Chancellor, and Ray Caruth is a part of Chancellor. Chancellor does not think he's disabled. He is able differently. So he does not conduct himself like a helpless person. That strong athletic ability that Chancellor has and he displays when he's doing his therapy, and it's not even just therapy, it's the day-to-day task that we take so much for granted that he has to put so much effort into doing, I see Sharika coming through that fight and that determination. And I must give credit to Ray Caruth because I think Ray has some of those same qualities because you couldn't make it to the NFL just being mediocre. I'm almost grateful that it happened because it has shown me a part of me that I didn't know lived in there. I am bigger than I thought I was. I am more faithful than I thought I was. I'm more loving and compassionate than I ever thought I could be. And for that, I really have Ray Caruth to thank. I think the grandma is very forgiving. Like, I'm not going to hate him for my the rest of my life. People were real upset, though, when he got out of prison and said he was going to fight for custody. It's like, you can't do that. Yeah, he dropped that pretty quickly. Yeah, he was like, ah, yeah, don't, you don't, you can't do that. (laughs) So. The parole board probably called and said, you know, we might have changed our minds here. There's another podcast that did a whole series about this, and now I can't think of the name, but if you type in Ray Caruth, it will come up. They did a whole part, like six parts, maybe. Really? But I didn't have time to listen to all that. But I'm sure it's probably pretty good. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. So, yes, two interesting Panthers players. I'm going to be honest. To go back to the first case where she shot her husband, Deidre Lane, shot her husband twice, just had a baby. 
I would have claimed postpartum insanity. Like I would have called that real quick. Like I'm crazy. I just had a baby, and they would have said still was too planned. Though. Yeah, and it's like I guess if you had that life insurance had just been taken out, man, you had to like in, life insurance out like six months. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. listen to our advice sometimes they won't even award them if it's been under a month like if you got your life insurance policy and then it hasn't even been a month and you get well it's technically like a claim, well, once right? once you pay and it starts i mean it okay. starts yeah yeah i'm hungry <laughs> i'm being <laughs> nice to meet you i'm hungry too okay yeah what are you gonna get it lots of snacks in there okay snacks all snacks peanut, all peanut free snacks Gonna take snacks to school. None, none of the products can have. You made, talking about freaking peanuts? No peanuts. Nothing can have made eye contact with any peanut product. Yeah, or you can't take good. it to school. Peanuts. 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 Pizza. Yeah. Pizza do sound good. Yeah. I'll order it. Okay. <laughs> Carla, do you want some pizza? I do. That I do. <laughs> Here's pizza. Do you want to find out if your parents want pizza? Find out if your parents want pizza. Yeah, if you have them order it, somebody will go pick it up. Well, I mean, I'll oh, order it so oh, I okay. pay for it. <laughs> I almost ordered pizza last night. You know what I did? I made myself a protein shake and stuff. Went to bed and said, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. No, protein shake, it was, I mean, they're 500 calories, so. Fill you up some. Mm-hmm. If, you really, if you really want to lose weight, go convince your doctor that you have ADHD and get on one of these meds because then. Uh, not hungry. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can go all day without eating. A stimulant. I don't know. When I started taking Wellbutrin, I wasn't hungry. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. Yep. But then it kind of wore off. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I had the same thing, but then it kind of wears off. Because my boss was like, why don't you go take a break? I was like, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. He's like, okay. Well, if you pass out and die. I was like, I haven't been hungry in days. <laughs> it wears off. Don't worry. So I think that's about it. All right. Carla won't be here next week. Got to figure out what we're going to do. <laughs> Don't worry. She has Pray a life insurance policy. And I do. I have life insurance. I, also I hope have you meet a nice Mormon boy while you're out there and yeah. you shack up with he and his wife. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it's okay. As long as they're nice people, right? Right. I just want you to be nice. I'm going to watch. You're caught up on The Bachelor. Uh, there's a big deal about champagne. Do not steal people's champagne. It, you, you will get fucked up. I don't know. It's, I just found it all to be a little dramatic. She said the champagne was from Des Moines, like like it was special to Des Moines, but it was a bottle of Dom, okay? You could buy that anywhere. 15 bucks? No, these are, they're like $100 okay, bottles okay. of champagne, but, but it's Dom Perignon, and you can get it. I mean, you can go to the store right now and buy one. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, well, the, yeah. if you go in the next 12 minutes. Yeah. But no. Okay. So, so that's mother. how I feel about that. She was being a bit dramatic. They had pillow fights. Yeah, it was kind of weird. It got weird. It's getting weirder. The girls are not that interesting yet. Nope. Got to stay with it. You know, if you want to find interesting. Or at least you want to, like, like one of them a you lot. Just, like, oh, I like her. I hope she makes a bar, you know? If you want to listen to something interesting, you can follow our podcast. <laughs> 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 so much better than The Bachelor. It's just so much better. <laughs> um, tell them where to find us. Instagram, Twitter, um, at Who's Your Homicide. And then we are on Facebook. You can like the page. Um and where you know where where you can listen to podcasts. That's, That's where, where we're at. Where it's at. It's hot. It's lit. And for honest to goodness, stay, stay out, out of the, the corn. corn. Well, all right. In the meantime, don't worry. Be happy.
have a nut. Until next time, we hope. Bye. Bye-bye.